Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Jody Susan with Self Cell Care. We're so happy to be here and have our technology working today. It's it's been uh, a, uh, an interesting morning already, um, and we are here today with Dr. Matthew Ember, and I'm going to bring him on, uh, barring any issues. <laughs> so give me one second here. And before I bring on uh, Dr. Ember, I just want to say a little bit about him. Um, um, oops, and we seem to have lost, uh, we seem to have lost, so if you're watching here, we seem to have lost access to uh, Facebook. So we're just going to take one moment just to reconnect ourselves, and there we go. So Dr. Ember um, is, uh, he created his own business called uh interactive neurology and he specializes in differential diagnosis and many of you may not even be familiar with that term it's a really important term i think to know and the reason it's so important to know is because many of us are symptomatic right uh we may have um you know, pain in a certain part of our body or whatever, or discomfort, or we may have, you know, uh, headaches, or we may have tremors or we, whatever symptom we may have, but that symptom can be misdiagnosed, whatever that symptom is, you can be misdiagnosed because it could be similar for many different diseases. So I learned that term back in 2016, when I was um, coming out of my own disability and my own health journey. But what I would like to do at this point is bring on Dr. Matthew and have him share about his story and why he does what he does, because it's pretty amazing. So good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Pardon me? I said doing very well. Thank you. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's um, um, so you had a little safari challenge. I couldn't get into the radio station. Uh, yes. Like, you know, and here's the thing, you just kind of have to roll, right? I mean, sure. <laughs> always something, right? You know, and, and that's okay. I always say it's not what happens, it's how you respond to it. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, and exactly what we're talking about, you know, um, so differential diagnosis is a big part of what we do here. Now, I got into this through um, kind of started the traditional route going more to like uh, organic chemistry and like pharmaceuticals and stuff like that and work in the pharmaceutical injury, uh, industry for certain uh, specific brain deficits. And then we found, you know, when you start differential diagnosing and find very specific locations of problems, it's hard to get something orally that goes to one spot in the brain or one spot in the body. So that's when we started finding, you know, things that um, can target more specific areas with a higher degree of uh, specificity. And how do you target 
um, with a higher degree of specificity? Because I, I know I know some of them, but why don't you go ahead and tell the rest of the world? Oh, you know, it just depends on what we're going after, you know. So uh, there's nothing that we've invented here, nothing that we created, nothing we have a patent on. It's just using the research that's out there to direct therapies towards a specific area. And I think when it comes to the brain, people often get confused and think of it kind of like a magical organ. But if we think of like a muscle, right? Mm -hmm. If you went to the PT and he goes, hey, we're going to do just general muscle exercises and you're like hey i'm in here for a rotator cuff injury you'd be like what are we doing you know so you just do exercises that are specific for that rotator cuff muscle but if you can't identify which rotator cuff muscle is damaged then you're not going to know what exercise to apply to it so through that differential diagnosis of which muscle is involved you can target pretty simply what therapy to use and it's the same with the brain it's just a different set of exercises well, and so, and that's like so cool. And you say that some people think that the brain is magical. Um, you know, I actually, I do think the brain is magical. <laughs> sure. And there's a place for that. But, you know, like we don't usually step in and, and uh, do the work of like what you'd be doing there. Usually what we supplement is more of like a um, classic neurology route. So in that way, you know, we want to provide kind of a elevated level of care, not necessarily a contrast level of care. Sure, sure. And um, so talk to me a little bit. I mean, how is it that you are able to identify what part of the brain is not working or is underperforming or overperforming? Sure. And this is probably the hardest part here because we don't have any simple singular tests for this. You know, we have like everyone knows of MRI, CT, but brain changes won't show up on an MRI until you lost about a 30% of tissue. So you have to lose about a third of your brain tissue before anything will even show up on an MRI. So we can't be dependent on that for our diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I always think about what we do here is I remember like, uh, being on my dad's like fishing boat as a kid, right? And they'd have like the depth finder and it would show the bottom of the water. And I was always like, you know, do they have like a map of the bottom of the water? How's that work? And he's like, no, they just send a signal down, measure how it comes back and then use that to map out what the bottom of the lake looks like. The brain is really similar. So like, let's say we're curious about the functioning of, let's do some generic areas, the brainstem, right? We can look mm -hmm. at cranial nerve functions like, okay, where are these nerves located in the brainstem? Which side are they weak? Are they weak in the pontine ones or in the mesencephalic ones? And then, I mean, this is really dumbing it down, but then we can use all of this data. We spend two hours just collecting data points on different brain functions to kind of map out what areas in the brain are probably statistically weak based on those functions. It's kind of like if we couldn't look at your muscles and you went to the gym and then you were like, okay, you were great at all your tricep exercises, but you're weak at all your bicep exercises. Chances are you have weaker biceps. It's, it's kind of a similar idea. Yeah. And Lindsay Shipley is piping in here. She says, holy cow, 30% loss. That's incredible. And, you know, I, I'll just add to that, that we don't, we're not even symptomatic for any of our organs, I think, until we lose anywhere. So 30%, by the way, um, I was not aware of for the brain, mm -hmm. but I know for other organs, it's anywhere between 60 and 70% loss of function before we're even symptomatic, sure. like your kidneys or your liver. Depending on how sensitive are. you are, right? What? So depending on how sensitive you are, right? You know, some depends people have 
far. Mild deviations from homeostasis and have a lot of problems. Other people can be a mess and still not even know it, right? You know, it's just. Well, and how aware are you? Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, uh, I have a friend who was not symptomatic, you know, so, so he says. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He, he, and so, and this, but this does happen for a lot of people. Um, Their heart, they don't get symptoms until they've had the heart attack. Right. So, um, so a hundred percent loss of function before they get the symptom. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, an important note to make because we really do need, you know, a lot of people say, well, like it's a lot of times I'll talk about, well, I think you should, you know, have clean water and filter your water. Sure. Right. And, and they said, well, you know, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> you may not be dead yet and you may not be symptomatic but i'm just saying so sure and you know i I find that we uh we tolerate a great deal of pathology too right i mean Mm -hmm. how many of us are like you know my mood's off all the time not as focused i used to be i'm tired all the time it's just uh, i'm getting older and they're like 32 you know It's, it's, it's crazy how it's accepting we are of just not being our best you know i i uh my wife is a former er nurse and i hang out with a lot of people in that world and it's funny you talk to them about chronic conditions and it's like unless you've had or have a family member that's had chronic conditions you really don't understand that a lot of suffering that comes in with that right mm-hmm. so people yeah. look at medicine as like i'm dying i'm not dying and not like i'm suffering i'm not suffering you know right 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 well, and, and here's the thing you said, accepting of, we're accepting of not being our best. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that's such a really good, I, I like to talk to that because I did that for, I don't know, three decades. <laughs> so no judgment, anybody. Yeah. Cause I did it. Um, I was a gymnast. And as a child, you know, I was an equestrian. I rode horses and everything. And um, and I had that sad diet, the standard American diet, heavily loaded with sugar, right? And I'm in pain all the time. And I'm, I've got a reason for my pain, and I'm reasoning it away, right? Sure. I justify it. And so... There's no justifying pain. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there are certain things that are just like, or, you know, dizziness, right? That's another one we see all the time. I always get a little dizzy here and there. And it's like a little dizzy. Like, okay, how much does you deal with? You know, it's, it's amazing. Well, and the thing is, is that I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we give reasons for why whatever symptom we have, like, for instance, I was a gymnast. Okay, so my ankles hurt really, really bad. That is because I was, you know, uh, doing floor exercises as a gymnast that morning or that day. And or, um, you know, I just I just have all these excuses. So I actually I think I have this in the in my banner. Hold on, this. I don't know. Yeah, I do. We have all these excuses. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> and for why things are that they are versus looking at the root cause and and choose not to suffer anymore, right? Definitely. 
So, um, and as long as we're using these banners here, I just want to say that, oops, hold on a second. I got to make sure we have this. Yeah, I got to update this. If you want to talk uh, to Dr. Matthew or to myself, please call in to the show. It's 515-605-9325. And so what I would like to note, Dr. Umber, you have a story to tell, right? Um, about why you are doing what you do, about the essential tremors. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my family has genetic tremors. Um, and we had a couple, you know, people go into neurology, go into medicine, trying to treat them. No one really had much success. So that's when I got into organic chemistry, looking for pharmaceuticals to treat it. Um, and that's when I got into, again, uh, more functional neurology, neurological rehabilitation. Um, once understanding that that, uh, that essential tremor comes from a cell layer called the Purkinje layer of the cerebellum. That's the outside layer of the cerebellum. Mm-hmm. So I started looking for therapies for it. And then that's kind of how I discovered this. And started treating myself and then other people. And then that's kind of where it started. So what did you do to, to help your, you know? <clears throat> yeah. So Purkinje layer breakdown usually happens on the same side or what we call in neurology, the ipsilateral side of your non-dominant hand. So I'm right-handed. So my tremor starts my left hand. It can be the opposite, but that's usually classically the way it goes. Um, so I did exercises starting with the left to um, kind of both bring up that cerebellar function and then also calm that down. So, for example, the Purkinje layer of the cerebellum response was called repetitive uniplanar movements. Now, what that means if you do a bunch of complex stuff, you know, it stimulates the cerebellum. But when you do that repetitive, same thing over and over again, one plane, it calms that Purkinje layer down. So doing exercise that utilize this modality we can really direct that specific area and then do therapy just on that. Because what we don't want to do is, you know, a lot of therapies we do, open oh, the camera, they'll we'll have this imbalance and then we'll just do this or this. And what we want to do in neurology is this. And this is the really hard part when it comes to like diets or nutraceuticals or prescriptions is they're all going to, they can't do this. They can only do this or this because, whoops. It's if you're putting input on both sides. You got your hands, you know, you either have your hands level or you have your hands six inches apart. What does it mean when you're doing that? So again, uh your brain has both sides, just like your arms do. Like you're not gonna do uh if you're going to PT, physical therapy, right, versus the gym. You're not going to do equal bilateral bicep curls. I mean, maybe you do, but in theory, you won't. You're going for one specific muscle, right? You're doing the right rotator cuff, this specific muscle of the rotator cuff. The same Mm -hmm. with the brain. So you're not going after – now, eventually, if the tremors get bad enough, you might be going after both cerebellum or cerebelli. But really, you're going to first target one versus the other. So it's that sideness that plays such a role in neurology. And this is where a lot of, again, more of the oral-based – inputs are difficult okay and then we got lindsay calling in again she goes totally makes sense suffering tolerance awareness symptoms acceptance the loss of function pain symptoms are probably different for everyone but before the floor drops out absolutely so lindsay is actually a coach and uh, she coaches softball and uh she's actually an amazing soul so saw her last night 
And actually, I have, I'm going to show you all this. Hold on. She gave it to me. Well, to borrow. Okay, probably shouldn't let that fall over. Okay. So, she gave me this copper ring. So, Lindsay, talk to us about, if you want to call into the show, Lindsay, you should do that. Um, the uh, phone number for the show, let's see here again, is 515-515. Um, and then press one to speak and talk to us about the copper ring, which I'm going to wear around my neck. So um, I learned about this yesterday that makes you feel really good. So just, (laughs) (laughs) but I, but I didn't learn it well enough to talk to Lindsay uh, or to speak about it intelligently. So um, you know, because it was late and we were celebrating. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> to Andrew Calhoun. So, um, so, so talk to us about though. I mean, if you could put it more in layman terms, you know, I, I feel. I mean, let's go back to the brain and scanning the brain. Have you used this? You've used the spec scan. Is that right? To Scan yeah, we use the spec scan. No, we love the spec scan. Our uh, our our biggest reason for not using just the spec scan all the time is just financial limitations of patients, right? I mean, if spec scans were cheap, we'd run them on every person. We've used EEG before. We've used uh, MRA, CT, fMRI. I mean, you name it, we've used it. It's just what works for each individual. So, like you know, EMG or EEG would be great for someone who's having service level activity, but if you're having lower brainstem issues from a concussion it's not a good diagnostic tool, you know, so different, different things for different people. So which one's not the good diagnostic tool if you have a brainstem issue? Well, you wouldn't want to do like superficial sensors like uh, EEG, you know, cause that's okay. looking for more surface level activity. Now EEG salespeople will tell you it looks at the brainstem, right? But <laughs> you're going through this much tissue to look at it. So, you know, it's not what we'd use for that situation. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, we are going to be going to commercial in a few minutes. Um, and it uh, doesn't look like Lindsay's able to call in just, just yet. Give me one second. So tell us, um, you know, so you talked about your, your story a little bit. Yeah. Um, what are you using? What technology do you use to help people recover from your diagnosis? Yeah. So we use all kinds of modalities. A lot of them are real simple. Some of them more complex. Um, so for example, for like someone that had a nerve injury, like let's say your nerve got severed in an accident, we'd even use an EMG machine to put input in there to regrow that nerve. But now a lot of things we can do with a lot less technology, right? I mean, most of the stuff we do involves just body movements or eye movements. We might use technology like interactive metronome or fit lights to help us aid in that activity. But in real life, we could do it without some of the fancy toys. Most of it is just knowing how to get in there. Um, And again, it comes down to that specificity. Like treatment we do for patient A is going to look totally different than patient B, just depending on what we're going after versus, you know, upper cortex, lower cortex, depression versus vertigo. So what if somebody comes in and they have depression, right? They have depression. 
what does that look like in terms at, as, as from your side? We know from our side, when we feel depressed, we feel sad and all of that. And then how is it what you do, um, either solo or in conjunction with other doctors, um, to help people understand, do they have manic depression? Do they have, you know, like what type of depression? Because there's different types of depression, different types of ADD. I think there's seven types of ADD, right? So A lot of these categories that we're discussing here um, are based on symptomatology, right? So like the problem with the brain is we made up the diagnoses before we knew what the problems were. So I mean, imagine like if someone came in and go, I have cough. You'd be like, oh, what type of cough do you have? You know, you'd be like, no, who cares? Like, what's causing the cough? And depression tends to actually be neurologically one of the more simpler things we look at. Depression usually comes down to either one, that chemical imbalance that everyone's familiar with, or two, a left frontal lobe disorder. And that's what the research pretty clearly states. And even there's FDA approval for um, transmetic stimulation, where they're stimulating the left frontal lobe to treat depression because it's such a common association there. And um, I'm sure you're aware of that with Dr. Amon's books as well on the spec scans where they found the consistent left frontal lobe deficits in the depressive patients. So again, when we look at a depression patient, that's what we want to see. We want to see the anatomical correlation. And obviously we always work with therapists as well. And that's an important part of this. Um, but looking for that anatomical cause is where we come in for that therapy. Okay. And so are you doing any of the therapy? Are you doing the diagnosis? What does that look like over there? So yeah, when we say therapy, we don't mean like talk therapy, right? That's different. That's what you do with a therapist. What we would do is like, so let's say you we find that left frontal lobe thing, and we definitely do diagnosis here, but let's say we find that left frontal lobe deficit. Oh, excuse me. Um, then we would do things like uh, right saccades, you know, where you jump your eyes to the right that can stimulate that left frontal lobe. That's one example, but just different physical exercises that we know target that specific area. And again, nothing we invented or came up with, just what the research has already kind of lined out for us. Okay, okay. Um, You know, and going back to the essential tremors, um, I don't know if you saw the video I showed you at the BOD. Yeah. I'm actually just going to show this real quick and have this up for people to see that there are so many different ways um, to help yourself. So let me see if I can share the screen. Chrome tab. And we'll make that full screen. And so this, in this uh, video, we have um, a man who has essential tremors. This is about seven minutes, but I think you'll find it really interesting because we've had some amazing um, results using this technology. By adjusting the frequency knob, it seems that Dave can enhance the tremor. Now by adjusting what Baud Energetics is calling the disruptor knob, Dave can cancel out and minimize the tremor.
So in this uh, video, he's adjusting the knobs on the tremor for those who are listening versus watching. That's turned off again. Okay. And the tremors come back when he turns off. Obviously, it didn't go away until I brought up the red knob. I was amazed yesterday when I sat down, put the earphones on, and uh, the glass that I was giving an example of there. Uh, I hadn't had any experience with it at all, and I hit a place where the uh, shaking just stopped. My name's Dave Dameron. I've been in, uh, a photographer and a videographer for the last 30 years. And my father, my grandmother, my aunt, myself, my sister all have what is called essential tremor. And, uh, it's starting to encroach on my photography abilities because I can't hold the camera. It's still, I have to shoot in faster shutter speeds or I use a tripod. And uh, when I'm stressed or have come in after a lot of work, my uh, trimmer gets worse. Um, but I don't think it's ever not there. My dad's would shake all the time as he aged. Uh, he would try to hide it by putting his hand in his pocket. And if he had change in there, you'd hear the chains rattling. And it was, and he couldn't read the paper because it would just shake. Uh, mine's not quite there. Dave used the baud on two consecutive days, targeting his essential tremor. By adjusting the frequency knob, it seems that Dave can enhance the tremor. Now by adjusting what Baud Energetics is calling the disruptor knob, Dave can cancel out and minimize the tremor. That's turned off again. Okay. Obviously, it didn't go away until I brought up the red knob. I was amazed yesterday when I sat down, put the earphones on, and uh, the glass that I was giving an example of there. Uh, I hadn't had any experience with it at all, and I hit a place where the uh, shaking just stopped. One of Dave's major complaints is that he has trouble studying and taking photos with his smartphone. So I'm going to turn these off. Here Dave makes his adjustments with, with the yellow, yellow frequency knob. And again, we see Dave is able to enhance his trim. All right. It is shaking more. Well, I can hear the bod 
noise. And it sounds amazing to me because I love it. <laughs> it puts me in my happy place. And again, Dave will adjust the red disruptor knob toward canceling and minimizing his tremor. You can hear the baud carrier frequency and the beat frequency. And this will be about one and a half minutes as Dave optimizes the disruptor knob setting. So when they're they're look they're showing the knobs and it's really pretty cool because when you think about the disruptor knob and the frequency knob the uh, you know the frequency knob is making things more pronounced whatever the symptom is the pain the tremor the anxiety um, whatever it is that you got and then the red button or the it's got a red circle around the knob disrupts it disrupts your current reality. So we all have our current reality for whatever we're experiencing and that disruptor knob disrupts that current reality. And then you'll see he's got the volume up pretty high and that volume activates Well, that's less brain. shaking and it's all the way up on disruptor. Nice ring, by the way. <laughs> I've had the trimmer probably acting up five to six years, somewhere in there. I think we all knew we were going to, some of my family knew we were going to get it just because it is an inherited trait. It's, it is a frustrating ailment. Operation mindset for better balance in healthcare. So what's really cool, um, I think, is that we are not stuck with the body or brain or whatever that we have. Would you agree, Dr. Matthew, we're, we're master healing machines? Um, I think we're dynamic, right? All of our cells turn over, even if our brain cells turn over every, you know, the longest neurons, eight years. So we're constantly uh, reforming the cells that make us up. Yeah, I mean, even in my the introduction to my show, I talk about, you know, we, you know, we can lift 120, you know, or or more, quite frankly, what if? And then if we take care of ourselves that are constantly rejuvenating, right? Um, we can just even, you know, so that's how people heal. Would you talk about how people heal in the cellular, re, you know, rejuvenation? 
Yeah, so <laughs> it's hard to do this without drawing. I usually do this on a whiteboard, but uh, I might be able to help you with that. No, <laughs> I'm not great with technology, so it's probably better not to give me more tools. But basically, um, all of our cells are like uh, think of like an electrical cord, right? For like our neuron cells, and they have that covering around our cells, like the like the cord does, right? The cord has mm -hmm. that covering to keep us safe from electricity. Well. When the cells break down, they get breakdowns in that cord, and it's kind of like taking a uh, you know exacto knife and making little nicks in the cord of your computer, right? You're going to have this electricity spill out, and you're also going to have less efficiency in that computer. So when a neuron is weak, it fires higher and then crashes, fire higher and then crashes, and that's where you get that instability. It's kind of like similar to a muscle that's like shaking when you're pulling that weight up, you know. So. <coughs> When we stimulate that group of neurons or that neuron itself, what we're doing is we're helping rebuild that cord. We're helping fix that neuron to create more stability. Um, if you want to get real technical with it, it's with a process called proto-oncogenes that come out of the nucleus and repair it. But they okay. get in layman terms, yeah. that would be. That's a little overcomplicated. There's no layman's terms for proto-oncogenes. They're basically workers that rebuild the cord from the internal side, right? There's okay. no. How do you spell that? Uh, proto uncle P R O T O, uh -huh. I, and I didn't think it's just U N C O. Uh, uncle jeans. Yep, proto uncle jeans. I am not, not like Levi jeans, right? <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Oh, sorry. It's um, it's yeah. uncle jeans. It's, it's O N C O jeans. O -N -C -O. Not U N. Sorry about that. That's yeah, good okay. spelling is not my forte. But um, yeah. So again, this is what we're doing on more of a cellular level. Uh, and again, this has to do with just what's our resting membrane potential and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not about stronger or weaker. It's about more stability, right? You know, when we're working on the brain, we're not really up regulating stuff. We're not really down regulating stuff. We're trying to bring stability to a localized region. Okay. So this is really interesting. Watch what I found. Can you tell me if I okay. got it right? Hold on. Um, okay, I got the definition and I pulled it up. All right. So it says the proto-oncogene, a normal gene, which when yeah, altered by mutation becomes an oncogene that can contribute to cancer. So the antithesis of proto-oncogene is not so good. Right? Sure. Again, uh, it's all cell growth. So cancer is unregulated cell growth. I mean, our bodies, like when you learn someone's name, you're having cell growth, right? So we don't want to look at cell growth and cell stability as an overall bad thing because without it, you would die in seconds, right? right. So Got we that. need cell growth, but cell growth is, uh, is regulated. And then this goes in a completely separate issue. This is where mitochondria health comes in, right? Because the apoptosis that controls and regulates cell growth is controlled by that mitochondrial DNA. And that's, we've got to have checks and balances in the body. And that's what it comes down to anything, right? There's no, any unregulated input you want to put into any system. Cool. And then we have a caller. Hold on. All right. This hey. is Self Cell Care. Hey, you guys. On the show. Good morning. Good morning, Lindsay. How are you? Hi. I'm great. It's awesome to hear you two talk this morning. My brain is totally lit up. 
Well, it's always good to light up our brain, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it really lit up when um, you guys started talking about mitochondrial health. Well, tell me Dr. what you Matthew, thought. You just mentioned. You just mentioned mitochondrial health as you guys were talking about. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating place right now in, in health and how that contributes to everything, you know, immunity. And um, but going back to when I was trying to call in and I couldn't get through, um, Jody mentioned that I'm a coach. I'm a softball coach and I have a lot of players who get injured obviously with flying objects hitting their head and <laughs> you know different things like that so i i'm interested to hear um you know about you know my background is speech and language therapy so traumatic oh. brain injury and yeah and um and whatnot and and what you're i'd love to hear what you're finding with traumatic brain injury and concussions and, and things like that do you treat that i know your specialty is essential tremors but that's that's where my brain is going to in this whole conversation. Oh no, actually, so essential tremors is how I got into it. Definitely not our specialty. It probably makes right. up one percent. We oh, mainly yeah. see oh. concussion. One percent. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> concussion, you know, concussion? is going to be. Oh, sorry, you're saying something. Oh. How much percentage is your is concussion therapy? I don't know the exact percentage, but it's probably the biggest thing we see here because it's just so oh. prevalent. You know, it's just something we see so often, especially nowadays. Um, you know, it's a chemical insult that creates a structural deficit. But with a concussion, it's so different person to person. Really, you know, we have some people like our hockey players get those rotational hits. And those rotational hits really cause a twisting at the brainstem level. But like our soccer players who go for a header and get hit have more of that coup counter coup mechanism. And that damages more of the upper part of the brain. So even the sport they're playing will often be in the area that's affected. So interesting. So, so, so when you hit the frontal lobe, when you hit the prefrontal, this is your prefrontal cortex. So, what happens to people when they're playing soccer and they yeah. their head they use their head as a tool? Sure. And now, not to get into this, but there's a big a big argument out there that if you hit the front, which part of the brain is damaged more? I, I haven't seen any consistency there, but people because it's there's this coup counter cool whole debate. People can Google it. It's a whole thing. But let's say that you damage the frontal lobe when you hit your head. You know, then we could see focus issues, impulse control issues, mood issues. Um, I mean, think about with brain generation, right? When we get older, grandpa tells a dirtier joke. Grandma shops a little bit more. This is frontal lobe breakdown. This is where we start to change. Oh, filter um, issues. <laughs> yes. And we're not talking water filter, people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it just depends again and we try to back this up with objective stuff now the nice thing not nice that sounds bad but the the convenient thing for us when it comes to concussion is there's a a set difference in day you know like this wasn't there now it's there you know versus something that breaks down over time can be really hard a concussion is this dramatic change so it can often be one of the easiest things for us the hardest thing with a concussion is we have really bad baselines. I mean, most sports teams use impact tests or other really low forms of testing. And so someone comes in, we don't know which parts of this is the concussion and which parts of these are deficits you've had since birth. Hey, you know what I realized? 
Lindsay, hold on if you can. I forgot to go to commercial at 7.30. So let me run a couple real quick. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. Hold on. Hi, I'm Jody Susan with Susan Essentials. I started Susan Essentials in 2015 because of a personal health journey. I was over-medicated and put on 19 different medications. And yes, I reversed all my chronic diseases using plant and energy-based healing. It was amazing. At Susan Essentials, we support both consumers and businesses, and we do that with helping your employees or yourself with a food as medicine mindset. How Susan Essentials supports businesses and consumers is we teach people about a food as medicine mindset. So we support people on how to support their own immune system, how to support their brain health, how to support their emotional well-being, and we do that all with plant and an energy-based healing. The Female Solution Global Radio TV Show invites you to an invigorating conversation with our team of hosts Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. Start your week with Monday Morning Mindfulness with Zelda Speaks. Tuesdays, Self-Sell Care with Jody Susan. Wednesdays, Repairing Broken Families with Naima Latif and co-host Kareem Hamid. Thursdays, Soulful Solutions with Dr. Debbie Green. And Fridays, Health and Well-Being with Viata. Saturdays, tune in 12 noon to 2 p.m. Central Time. First Saturday, Success Strategies with Jana. Second Saturday, Wendy Williams Esquire on Relationships. Third Saturday, Move Around with Deborah. And fourth Saturday, Wisdom with Mama D. Join us Sundays, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time for Soul Purpose Healing with Beata. Call in and comment 515-605-9325. Press 1 to speak to the host and be a part of the solution. All right, we are back. So, um, where were we? Lindsay, Dr. Matthew? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were talking, it was, we were talking a little bit about concussions. My, um, my roommate in college was a soccer player, Dr. Matthew. Oh, okay. Um, and I was a softball player. And um, I'll never forget crashing my head, getting hit in the side of the head in the temple and the, uh, temporal my left temporal region <laughs> and uh you know getting a concussion a long time ago and um and then I also know a family who has uh essential tremors the that father does and I'll never forget him you know starting to get symptoms and talking to him about that so um yeah I know concussions can play life on the facts we even see little kids that get concussions in peewee football have a higher incidence of adult onset depression so yeah those concussions I mean it's such a powerful thing. And, and, and again, we have a very kind of, even with their uh, prevalence and their severity today, still a very dismissive culture when it comes to concussions. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I never like to talk about symptoms or diseases or how we feel without providing solutions. Um, I know both Lindsay and I have amazing solutions, um, starting with your food supply. <laughs> sure. She's my uh, sister from another mister, right? <laughs> You're so funny. Um, but Dr. Matthew, starting with you, um, do you, 
what do you suggest to people for depression that doesn't include a pill? You know, again, you have to look at the anatomy involved. Like, you know, you, it's like saying, what do you do for a, a bicep injury without looking at the bicep, right? You know, the, the depression comes from the brain. And we see this because, you know, people that get concussion, people that have aging brain, people that have insults to the brain will develop depression. So we know, and again, obviously we met through Dr. Amon, so obviously you know this very well, mm -hmm. that when we see these structural changes in the brain, that depression takes hold. So I think the biggest thing I can recommend is just to have someone that tells you where the location of your depression is, what the mechanism of your depression is, and then what the long-term effect is. But if we don't have the location and the mechanism, we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know? However, let's just say this for a moment. Let's say you don't have a scan. I mean, I think that there are a, a multitude of things that people can use for depression. Sure. Um, saffron, which is, you know, the happy plant. Um, actually, BrainMD um, does sell that. Um, there's frankincense essential oil, which when you know, you apply to the palm of your hand and inhale. Um, so it's as simple as, you know, taking the bottle. This is not frankincense. This is a line, even better. Uh, keeping you aligned. <laughs> uh, you put it in the palm of your hand, rub the palm of your hands together, and then breathe in. And when you do that a few times, it can really center and balance the mind and you don't have to know exactly what part, because this gets to all parts, <laughs> but really goes mostly to the limbic system, which controls all of your emotions. Um, Lindsay, what type of foods do you like to add or avoid for depression? Well, I... Before I get to that, I actually, well, I guess what links this all, right, is mm. the connection between our mitochondrial cells and our gut bacterial cells. Yes. You know, a lot of doctors, one in particular, um, they're calling them sister cells and that they have this high, you know, amount of communication between them, right? When the gut bacteria starts going, that signals the mitochondrial health and, you know, they both kind of deteriorate. But, you know, what happens first, the chicken or the egg? So, for example, you know, in a concussion injury that then creates depression, right, or there, there's that correlation between the two, they're seeing this, this degradation or, you know, this impact in your gut. Mm -hmm. So it's this fascinating relationship between, okay, well, you get a concussion. Obviously, it doesn't start in your gut, but then something starts happening and we start seeing digestive systems. We start, you know... And then you also see where digest, digestion and allergies and sensitivities and food issues can, can then also cause or be a root cause, which, you know, we don't have a lot of research behind because the, the integration, I guess, the, you know, where, you, where, where nutrition and brain health, you know, meet, that is such an emerging, you know, place. But um, Dr. Matthew, have you, have you seen any research, have you seen anything like emerging science between you know, foods and the gut bacteria and the mitochondrial link and that in, incredibly um, just 
fascinating connection between the two. Sure. I mean, I mean, we've been doing, we run all kinds of gut tests, stool tests, things on all our patients, you know, all our info patients, we look for info. Yeah, uh, you do that. Uh, Bacter Infantis. Yeah, but like, is this, like, all these different things you can do for depression comes back to kind of like the theme of this show, of this episode is differential diagnosis, right? If we're not using differential diagnosis to determine what the cause is, then there's all these options for a patient. They get overwhelmed because they're like, hey, I could try this, I could try this, I could try this. Oh, I've tried this and then it works for this person, but not me. But if we can know the exact problem set, you know, whether it's gut or bacterial or uh, environment or what it might be, then we can offer that patient a specific approach that's right for them. And we can decrease that, uh, that waiting time, that trial period that all these people spend trying to get to that answer. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I just, I find it so fascinating. And, you know, do we have to answer the question? I guess, you know, a lot of times we know because, well, I got hit in the head, right? Sure, but hit in the head could, like, so, like, to your point with the, so let's say you get hit in the head and then that affects your autonomic system. And now you're, you know, you're not functioning gut wise because your parasympathetics are off. So now you're not absorbing micronutrients. So now you're depressed because of a micronutrient issue, but we're assuming it's concussion because we didn't do the leg work. You know, that's where it becomes so important to, to run those tests. Yeah. And so gotcha. um, See, there you go. That's it. Well, and that's just it. It's like, and on my personal health journey, you know, using food as medicine coupled with using the BOD. So the BOD was helping my brain and bringing it back to baseline. And then fueling my gut with like Corella, spirulina, um, the prebiotics, the probiotics, um, and like, like and, uh, collagen from my homemade bone broth. These things could together allowed me to reclaim my health. And when people try to take a single bullet approach, whether it just be a pill or I'm you know, or actually from a holistic standpoint, some people say, well, I just want to see how the spirulina works on its own. Well, that's like saying, I want to see if my heart works on its own without the rest of the body or the, <laughs> you know, like, it all works together. Sorry, you're going to need the spirulina and the Corella <laughs> and the probiotics and la and, 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 right? Makes sense? Sure. Um, and Vieta says, totally. lots of research on brain-gut communication influence on the body. Thank you, Vieta. Um, and she also says, yes, the health of our microbiome and gut is an important factor in depression. Uh, yeah, if you're, you know, think about it. I mean, I'm thinking back when I was like 13 and 14, I had a really bad gut and uh, unhealthy gut. And I got, and that's, you know, I, I think I started getting my period at that time. Right. So you blend that with an unhealthy gut <laughs> recipe for disaster. You know, so you have a 13 year old at home. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> Heal the gut. <laughs> so, um, and it's I think, yeah. Lindsay, what what do you think about that? I mean, it's been like 
couple decades since I've even had a period because I got rid of all of my female parts. <laughs> Not that that was a good thing, but it was necessary at the time. So um, what do you think about that? Oh, gosh. I... Uh... I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think there's so much we don't know. Um, you know, the interaction of, you know, hormones and cycles and the gut and mood. I think it's a fascinating, fascinating place. You know, I have a daughter who's, um, who's a sophomore in high school and she gets headaches, right? And that's how she knows it's coming. And, um, and I do think, you know, you know, her, her diet is definitely, you know, correlated because, you know, I know if she's been eating pretty well for the month or not, right? And it, it does, there does seem to be a correlation. I'm interested, Dr. Matthew, you know, for your insight on this. Um, there does seem to be a correlation between what she eats and, and her headache severity around that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, food's an important part for anybody because, like we said, all cells have turnover. So if you're not getting good food, you're not getting good building blocks to make yeah. your cells. Hormones we look at very much. I mean, and there's a lot of new research actually that's come out in the last couple of years uh, that really does kind of highlight brain connections in hormones. So often we look at hormones related to brain function. So for example, people that have low E2, estradiol, right? They're going to have increased fear, conditioning, intrusive thoughts. So if someone comes in with a lot of anxiety and trauma, estradiol is a really good thing to look at. So we're always looking at hormones in relation to uh, this stuff as well. But again, it's that differential diagnosis, right? Is it the gut? Is it the hormones? Is yeah. it both? Is it nutrients? And then it, it, I think for us, it is important to kind of answer the best we can, chicken or the egg, right? A lot of people use that expression and kind of walk away from it, but there's stuff we can do to kind of see which is it in this pathway. And again, that's where we get that long-term yeah. answer. Um, a lot of our patients have stuff that's very chronic and we're going to have to have a very detailed approach of how to sustain this over years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So, but if you're saying that, give me a minute here. So if you're saying that what came first, the mm-hmm. chicken or the egg, Yeah. tell but, us why that makes a difference when you're diagnosing, you know, in layman terms. Okay. So, uh, uh, in, we're going to go in layman's terms here, but like your, what's called your autonomic nervous system, which people think of as your rest and digest or your fight or flight nervous system, right? This controls digestion. So let's say that you come in with uh, a common condition we see in the autonomic world is POTS, right? Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. A lot of young girls are affected by this and they'll come in and they'll have these cardiac issues. And then we'll often wonder, okay, is this something from the gut or the hormones? Or is their gut or hormone issues off because this autonomic system's off? Because if your rest and digest isn't working, you can put all the nutrition you want in there. You're not going to break it down. You're not going to absorb it. But if you have a nutritional issue where you're not getting base nutrients that your system needs to make things like acetylcholine to drive that autonomic system, then you know all the neurotherapy in the world is going to make a difference. So our rate limiting reagent, what's going to slow the process down as a whole is going to be identified by understanding this chicken or the egg relationship. And if we don't understand that, we could be throwing good stuff at somebody and their body's just not able to take that good stuff in and utilize it. That's amazing. That's, yeah. yep. Well, so, and if I heard you correctly, um, 
we have our our brain needs to be our body needs to be in rest and digest in order for our body to absorb the nutrients or all the good stuff we're throwing at it is that right yeah, we always need to be have a dynamic relationship, being able to move in from rest and digest to fight or flight. We need to be able to move back and forth between these. And if we're stuck in any of the two, then we're going to have problems. Now, because of how we're designed, it's rare that someone gets stuck in rest and digest. That's not usually a huge problem we see. But fight or flight, obviously, is a, is a super common problem we see. So if we are stuck in fight or flight, yeah, which many of us are especially today then our bodies are not absorbing what they need to absorb is that right absolutely yeah um that's huge so i think that you know not everybody is um able or willing to see doctors you know i just always like to you know give people alternatives so the focus then if you're not willing to go into a doctor and see what it is that you have, just focus on bringing calm through to your system through meditation. Sure. You know, the breath, you know, deep breathing, yoga, walking, um, lavender essential oil, frankincense, and cut out the sugar. Sure. Right? Well, sound pretty good for everybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not anti-meditation for most patients. <laughs> Right, right. And I'm going to bring on Naima Latif. She's our executive producer. She always has great questions as well. Hold on. Welcome, Naima. And welcome to your guest, Dr. Matthew Amber. uh, Amber. And uh, I'm so grateful that you've exposed a lot of what we're experiencing as Jody was saying, most people are constantly in that fight or flight mode and they can't get out of it because they can't, they don't, uh, they don't perceive that they can change the circumstances that have them in this constant state of stress. So how do you suggest yeah. that people, I don't know, reset their brain or, or come up with some kind of way that they can get out of being stuck in that mode so that they can actually absorb the nutrients that they're putting in. Because most of the time people are in such a state of stress. I mean, you didn't even see how we eat, you know, fast food, just think of the term, you know, yeah. you're shoveling it down so you can get back to work, you know, all those kind of ways that we're constantly rushing and rushing and rushing and rushing. How does a person change that? Is it is a matter of changing thought or what is it that we need to do? Great question. And, and I mean, a, a loaded one, though, right? There's a lot of stuff there. But I think one of the, yes, the Naima. <laughs> one of the easiest things that you bring attention to there is just the slowing down, right? Yeah, if you're eating at your desk, you're trying to do 12 things at once, you're probably not going to be in rest and digest, you know, doing your taxes while you're in bed going to sleep probably isn't going to help you sleep better, right? <laughs> But that being said, I mean, and, and I mean, almost any mental health book you're going to read is going to tell you the same thing that most people's mood and their stress isn't their environment, but their interpretation of their environment. Right. So it's the way our body, pro- our brain processes what's coming in 
that really makes a struggle. Think about a lot of people we know that are the most stressed, most unhappy, most sad are people that we look at as super blessed, right? And they yeah. still just can't feel happy no matter what. Something goes right, they're like, oh no, but this could go wrong, you know? And that's where it gets real difficult. And this is where I have a lot of passion for it. I, they differ from the message here, but I don't believe there's a one size fits all. And I think this is where mental health books and self-help books fail. Because if there was one thing we could just read and then do and then fix all the problems, that book would sell off the shelves, right? Right, right. We'd all buy it. Right. <laughs> so it just takes the individual journey. And I think that's the key here is knowing when you get online and you read something that says, hey, this worked for Susie. Susie's telling the truth. It did work for her. But it might not work for you. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that's not your specific problem. Thank, I'm so grateful that you said that. Right? So we all share our stories. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean, and there's, I'm with you 100%. There's no cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's so important to see a doctor like you to help with the differential diagnosis, to do the testing, do a spec scan, do food sensitivity testing, getting down to the root cause. Because without these things, it's really just playing guesswork. It's just playing guesswork. And the other thing is we, how do I say, like, we can't assume that what's going on for Naima is going and what we saw for Naima is going to be the same for me or for Lindsay or for you. Absolutely. And people want a quick fix. But the spoiler is that there is no such thing as a quick fix. 100% agree. If you spent 40 years getting there, right? It, mm. oh, wait. Yeah, Vieta, I'll put this up. In, thank you, Vieta. Vieta made a really good comment, but I'll put it up in a moment. Sorry. But if you spend 40 years getting sick or 30 years getting oh. sick, you're not getting better in 30 days. <laughs> you are getting less symptomatic. You're going to see improvement, but it's not going to be that quick um, in terms of complete recovery. I met with somebody this weekend. Actually, this was actually I'm going to tell this story because it was so amazing. It was so amazing it made me cry. I couldn't stop crying. I was like a blubbering idiot. A child. First of all, I'll just back up and say I had trigger fingers and I couldn't use my hands when I was disabled. Mm. And when I saw my acupuncturist uh, for I think like for three or four years. At one time, she put ear seeds up in here, and we found the the, um, the tender point that related to my hands. And it took about 20 minutes, but then the hands started to release, and I was so grateful. So this child comes to our house on Sunday with his father and his mother to purchase our treadmill. We're moving to Georgia. And Andrew's asking him a question about, what he's going to be using, who's using the treadmill. And he shares about his son who's sitting in the car and disabled and chair bound, uh, wheelchair bound. And um, it started when he's 11 and he's 19. Mm. And I looked at him and as a medical intuitive, I knew exactly what to do. And 
and I knew exactly what his cause was. Now, most of you guys are still going to have to have a test, okay? I'm just going to say. <laughs> but, you know, these are the gifts that I have. So, and I'm not going to say what, his root cause was toxicity, right? Mm -hmm. It's based because he's, he's an empath. And um, so I took the air seed, and um, which is on a, like basically a Band-Aid with a little pebble on it. This one had a magnet and I put it where it connected with the hands so it could release. And as I, and prior to that, I had the bot on him for a few minutes. And I said to him, as he's wearing the bod, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you, it took me like 20 minutes at least to get my hands to start working again. I said, so I, and I don't know how I go, I don't know how long this has been going on for you. And the answer is three years. Mm. But it's probably going to take longer than 20 minutes. So I put the air seeds on and I put the bod back on. And like in a minute, he goes like this. And his hands went from here where he they were clenched. Wow. In three minutes. Wow. Wow. What happened was we got to the point of the brain that was activating the hands and the bod did a reset. Wow. The That's amazing. amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Three minutes. I mean, three wow. minutes. It took me 20 without the bot. <laughs> After three years of having mm -hmm. in that condition. That's amazing. So I guess like you say, it's no one size fits all. You don't know how a treatment might help somebody else, how long it might take. How short it might take. Well, I made the assumption it take a long, long time, right? <laughs> That's another thing, though, because I was thinking as I was listening to to, to Dr. Matthew talk about, um, you know, the the just the the process of healing. When there's a new procedure, I'm thinking first you have to get past a person's skepticism, maybe. True, and that could be what causes things to take long but if you have somebody who's open and accepting and believing then you know the results could be instant because their brain isn't isn't uh putting a block well Naima, that's really huge because i want to tell you the conversation i had with this child beforehand mm -hmm. and i asked him i said his name's florentine i said florentine so you ready for help and he looked at me he goes yeah I go, how ready are you to be healed? Mm. He goes, I am ready. I said, great. I said, as long as you're ready to have help, I'm ready to help. Mm. So, and so it's mindset. Yeah. Well, if you're committed to not being healthy, guess what? That's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of people, I was reading this, as a matter of fact, uh, sometimes people hold on to a sickness because that's their way of getting the attention that they didn't get when they were well. Mm -hmm. The sickness becomes a way to get love or, you know, at least a feeling that people care about you. It's if, that identity. Yeah. Yes. And, and so they feel like, well, if I'm well, then no one will, you know, care for me. No one will dote on me. No one will, pay attention to me if I'm well. So I'm really not ready for him. Well, and the thing is, is if you're well, maybe you can help somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's how the thought should be. 
So I think a lot of times, uh, <laughs> yes, I think a lot of times uh, people are resistant out of fear that something might work and they're really not ready to let go of an illness. So I don't know, doctor, do you ever come across people that yeah, it's a delicate balance, right? Because you do see in the research that like even orthopedic surgery has a 60 to 70% different outcome based on how patients perceive the surgery went, right? So perception is a lot, right? That's a big deal. But we got to be careful too, because so many of these people that have chronic conditions are often dismissed as being, oh, you're just in your head or you're anxious or this or that. No, totally. But like, this is just a big thing I see that comes in the door is a lot of these people are coming in and and that's the thought process. And how I look at that is even let's say there is a uh, a mental component like that, that's still something anatomically that we can help, right? That's still something yeah. chemically that could be okay. there. Maybe that's a form of trauma and anxiety that's in that amygdala system. And we can work on upper parts of the brain that control that, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to look at everyone as if they're here, there's something anatomically or chemically off, even if it's not what necessarily brought them in the door. And what I try to do is find the exact location that is off, even again, if it's not the thing that they even said it was to start with sometimes. Well, you know? That's the brilliance behind what you do. It's not the thing that they said, because that's their story, Dr. Matthew. Sure. So you right? And you're there to change the story. I will say, though, I don't always change. I have, I have a policy that I have found over the years that all my female patients know their bodies better than anyone on the planet ever should. So I have a rule that if a female patient tells me this is the problem, I check it, I test it, regardless of how statistically unlikely it is, because I am surprised at how often they are right. But my guy patients know. I'm like, no, you don't know. We're just going to go and look at this. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. a man said it and we didn't say it. You know? <laughs> we would have sounded biased. <laughs> and you know what? It took me a long time to understand the truth in that. But over the years, I have seen it again and again. You know, Why is that, in your opinion? I cannot explain it. Because in theory, anatomically, women have bigger temporal lobes than men, which is obvious stuff. Communication, memory, things like that. And men have bigger parietal lobes, which in theory would give them better perception of self. But I have never seen that. Bigger than that, better. I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess, because I mean, my female patients will come and go, I think I'm slightly low on iodine. And I'm like, what? And then I'll run it and they'll be right. My guy patients will come with a tremor. I go, when you start shaking, they go, I don't know, some time ago, you know, it's just totally different, you know. So is, wait, is Lindsay still on? Let's see if she's still on. Oh, yeah, I'm totally still on. I'm laughing totally <laughs> with you guys. So that's so funny. I mean, so I, I, I agree with Dr. Matthew. I, I do think that women are, we are, um, and I, you know, and you, Dr. Matthew, you'd have to talk to the brain part of this, but I do think we, we tend to, not all of us, by the way, but we do tend to be more self-aware um, and men have a focus on producing. Yeah, I guess. Whatever yeah. we're distracted by, it's distracting us from our bodies, that's for sure. Well, and I, I have been like the divine masculine a lot of times. And so I was always focused on producing, right? Versus being aware of how I was not treating my body well. Sure. And that's why I say this is not all the time, because there's a lot of females in this world that are the divine masculine. And we have a lot of 
men that are the divine feminine. So, you know, that's why, you know, the labeling or cookie cutter doesn't work, but, um, but it's kind of fun to talk about anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Exceptions to every rule. Yeah. 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 And, um, so Lindsay, what, what do you have to say about this? You should just be on, on the air, man. (laughs) This is like one of the best conversations ever. I mean, um, you know, the divine masculine and divine feminine, it's amazing when you balance those two out, right? Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to mind, body, nutrition, you know, a lot of us are in one or the other and we don't, you know, we don't self-identify or we don't even realize that we're so linear thinking. And, and, um, when we bring in both and we balance both out, it's, it's extraordinary what happens. And I just have to say, I was, I was so excited when we started talking before about, you know, bringing in, um, the the parasympathetic response mm-hmm. i mean come on how amazing is that for what we talked about last night jody oh about huge. that right holding that space right the parasympathetic because if none of if we're not relaxed right we could give i mean dr matthew when you said that you could you could do everything right but it won't matter because you're you're stressed out you're you're not you're in the sympathetic and there's not the access to the healing for sure. And Lindsay, I, I'm just put on my my copper circle again. <laughs> and I cannot take credit for that copper circle. Sean Courtney brought that from um, one of his friends up in Woodstock. So it's it's an amazing little connection, you know. Who did you get that from? Who did you get that from? But yeah, Jody, tell tell everyone what you experienced when you put that over your head. Cause yeah, because I can't I don't talk about science, but I can. I tell- mean, I just feel it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can't talk about science, but I can certainly talk about feelings in this situation, okay? So, um, but but it's interesting because what I was feeling is what it's supposed to do. So I'm a medical intuitive. Um, As a medical intuitive, I hear a spirit, right? And which is why I got misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia, by the way, just saying. Wow. Yeah. So. um, No way. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of my story. So not my story, their story. And that was written in my, my, my invoice is always schizophrenia. (laughs) I get it. I have no anger around it. You know, you know, like it's, it is what it is. That's okay. Um, So when you're hearing spirit, first of all, sometimes they speak too fast and I'm like, you've got to slow down so I can hear you. That's number one. Number two, um, you know, sometimes you have multiple souls wanting or guides or or Jesus, whatever, wanting to speak to you at the same time. And you're like one at a time. And so that puts your body in a motion uh, that's unbalanced. And so um, that's why I really practice a lot of breath work making sure I have a lot of oxygen using uh, frankincense and really just asking them to shut up sometimes. So, you know, I mean, really, but <laughs> well, really, I mean, and I was talking to Sean Courtney, who's like me and I'm like, and he had this thing at his head. <coughs> and I said, Sean, I said, you being like me, I said, you need to never have that on your head direct. I said, because it'll light your brain on fire. But when you put it 
<laughs> at your heart. Okay. Cause it's right above, it's right at my heart, my lungs. It centers you. And I felt like I could hear um, the divine much better, slower in a way that kept me centered and balanced. And I could, you know, properly um, speak the words that they want to speak. And so having um, a clear conduit, right? Because that's all I am. I'm, I'm nothing other than the, the messenger for, for people. And um, nothing more, nothing less. Um, and so this keeps me centered and balanced. Um, so we'll buy one. I'll give you back yours. <laughs> How do you feel when you wear this? Lindsay, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to just kind of tap in and, but I, I always, you know, I don't know what's psychosomatic and what's not, but you know, what matters is that I feel something, right. I'm mm -hmm. constantly aware of that. Is this psychosomatic? Is this not? Am I just, you know, making this up? But I do feel when I put it on, I often think about it when I'm a little rattled, you know, around my three kids and my husband. Um, and it does, it totally, I, I like it. I really like it. And, um, but it's, it's new for me. I mean, when he brought those things in and he was showing everyone, I was like, are you kidding me? This is insane. But I tell you what, I, it, it presents me, it grounds me. Um, and I tend to be up in, in the air a little bit. So, you know, my husband is my grounding force, but if I can find something like that, that helps center me, Hey ma'am, I'll, I'll use it. I'll do it. Yeah, and it's made with copper, right? It's all copper, right, Lindsay? It's all, yeah, it's all copper. And um, it's hand-forged. And um, there's an, an artisan that Sean is connected to that, that makes them. Yeah. yeah. And so um, kind of cool. I think it's like 30-some-odd Kind of cool. Yeah, 30-some-odd dollars. Yeah, and Dr. Matthew, Dr. Matthew, there's a lot of information about the, about the copper, Right. We're talking about copper around the body, but what about copper in the body? Are you seeing, is that something that you test for? Yeah. Usually we have the opposite problem. Usually we have too high of copper with our patients. Uh, it's copper zinc ratio is the copper. big brain thing. So the copper zinc ratio uh -huh. should be one to one. And that's really big with like autism, mental health, uh, focus, attention, executive function. So when, if you have an autistic child, yeah, copper too high, too low. Usually. Got to get tested. It's all about the ratio too to zinc. So I would never run just copper by itself. I'd run copper in relation to other um, things. And copper, again, the biggest one you're going to run is zinc. Mm. So in relationship to zinc, mm -hmm. so it's it's not ever about high or low. It's always about the relationship between the minerals. I mean, you can get a t copper toxicity, right? There is a level or a copper inefficiency. There is a level of high and low, but you could even have a in normal level. And if that ratio is off, it could still give you symptoms. But yeah, I mean, well, it's your, for sure. Your yeah. There's also, what is it? Uh, is a fatty acid. I can't remember which one that there's a, that you need a specific ratio for. And I cannot remember. EPA and DHA maybe we use a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's, so the reason you need that with EPA and DHA is actually, for that bilipid membrane of the cells. And what that actually is, is that's that cord we talked about earlier with the neuron. 
that cord is the bilipid membrane and that's made of EPA and DHA. So the whole reason you take those is to try to stabilize these neurons like we talked about earlier. And so what tests do you use to understand the balance of the EPA and DHA and then the zinc and the copper? Blood tests. I mean, it's just, you can, they're pretty simple. You can run through Quest. They're covered by insurance. They're, I mean, EPA, DHA ratios, copper zinc ratios. They're, they're the simpler areas of blood work. It's not like, um, like IgG and IgA food reactions, which you always have to go outside the box for, you know? Totally. Totally. Um, going back to, uh, another conversation, cause I wanted just to honor Vieta's comment here. It says boys are given different treatment by moms that suppressed their emotions. And as men, they struggle with being authentic. And actually, she has a question mark around that. So um, it's interesting. Do you think men think, Dr. Matthew, given, because uh, <laughs> you've yeah. started this with well, the men. I know, like, and I mean, obviously, we got to start with the bat saying there's exceptions to every rule. Like, to say that this is normal for guys or normal for girls is obviously there's always exceptions. And I know that's a big area today. But in general, there are structural chemical differences that we do look at, right? So we're going to look at hormone differences in a female depending on what phase of her cycle and let alone if she's, you know, pre a pre-cycle or postmenopausal, but even more so if it's a, you know, a, a male versus female. So there are different things that are going to make little differences between us for the norms, right? Again, there's always exceptions, but so yeah, there's probably some societal stuff, but I think there are some some differences as well, just in chemically and structurally and how we interact with our bodies. I have a question for Dr. Matthew. You're just thinking of what Jody said earlier about being diagnosed as schizophrenic. Sure. We know that women do tend to be more intuitive. Uh, sure. Often we do uh, rely on our spiritual connections, sure. which in the medical field still is not recognized yeah. as a reality. And For so sure. do you see there being perhaps a change and evolution in our medical field, even in terms of how students coming through traditional medical yeah. training might be introduced to the mind body spirit connection as opposed to just the physical symptoms and treating the physical symptoms because there's so much now that people are coming for so much that has to change in our perceptions of reality because people are talking about it now people are experiencing it now sure will that impact the way traditional medicine is taught in your opinion well, kind of touching the two bases there, uh, the, the first thing you talked about, you know, talking about um, it's hard. I, I think what we're seeing more is less of an acceptance and more of an understanding. Um, and maybe those come hand in hand. But I think what we're learning a lot more now is instead of um, uh, like acupuncture, right? Instead of going, oh, acupuncture is weird. It's crazy. It's this, 
you know, thing, we're starting to see, okay, hey, they're doing points in this location. And that actually stimulates this area of the nervous system, which controls the thing they say they're fixing. So we're actually starting to understand things that had almost been passed down traditionally have this scientific basis. And I think that's where you bridge the gap more is instead of just trying to say, hey, I talk this way, you talk this way, let's understand that we're both right. It's like, let's try to understand what we're saying, how they overlap, you know? And I think that's what's growing more so than an acceptance of just believe this or believe this. Mm. Like, so definitely integration. How do you better understand each other versus is is that what you're saying, Dr. Yeah, Matthew? You're missing what somebody else believes, or if it's if something you can't understand is oh well that's wrong. I think it's it's just you know, for a long time, we thought, okay, there's science and there's things outside of science. And I think that's the misconception, right? I think when you can start to use science to explain the unexplainable, then it no longer is unexplainable. And it makes those things that have always been good, like acupuncture, still good. But now we can actually have uh, more objective measures, right? Now we can actually explain it on a broader scope. We can start to specify who the patients are for. And the same with meditation, right? Same with hormone changes. Same with... Uh, essential oils, right? We're seeing all of these things be better understood and explained. And I think that's where they're really reaching the medical community is not as, hey, just believe this, but hey, have you seen the research that, you know, peppermint increases vascularization, you know, stuff like right. that. Well, and here's the thing. So acupuncture, the practice of acupuncture, I think is like almost 3000 years old, right? And so they were having results. <laughs> And then we say, when are on using it? Yeah. <laughs> Just I mean, it's working. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't think until like in, in Western medicines, what? How old, Dr. Matthew? It depends how you define it. I mean, Ayurvedic medicine has a lot of things that are still practiced today in some form of another. So I think medicine is something that's built on top of each other, not something that's built in isolation, you know? Mm. So, but, I mean, I guess I, I do want to isolate for a moment because what I want to say is that, you know, the pharmaceuticals, when did they come in? About 100 years ago? Again, it depends where you look at it. Penicillin came out in 1913. That's when you see a big shift. But since Hippocrates, right, you've seen shifts back and forth. You had an allopathic dominance in the 1700s. Then you had a holistic dominance in the 1800s. We're seeing uh, then an allopathic dominance in the 1900s. We're seeing a holistic shift back now. And then the 2100s, they'll met little robots that go in the body and we'll go back to the allopathics the other way, right? And we'll have this shift. And I think that shift is good because it calls us up to that next level, right? If someone stays in power for a long period of time, they'll just get complacent there. And we're seeing that in the medical community, right? It's complacent. It hasn't right really now, created right. changes. Yeah. And I don't think there, I, well, my opinion is that there's room for both. Sure, I think absolutely. you absolutely need Western medicine. Um, first of all, the testing, you know, when you go to traditional Chinese medicine, they weren't doing testing and efficacy and this. People just felt better and operated and functioned better. So that was good enough for them. Mm. So then you fast forward to where we're at today. Well, unless you have an efficacy study, you know, well, then, you know, we, we, we don't want to approve it or whatever. And so, but it, you know, to your, to everyone's point here, they need to work together. If you have a broken leg, you don't want to pull out an acupuncture needle, right? Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> you don't, you have a heart attack. You don't want to 
pull out an acupuncture needle. Oh, no. uh, you might want to do it later for healing or before. <laughs> is it possible that the acupuncture needle could stimulate parts of the brain that assist in the healing? Yeah, yeah, and that's where I'm going, right? Mm -hmm. So you need Western medicine for acute care. Um, you need Western medicine to do, I think, di proper diagnosis, differential diagnosis. If you don't have that, especially as complicated as we have made our bodies, it's going to be tough. I got, I got a story to tell, but I know you got to go, go to a break, but I want to tell you this story and then get your thoughts about this kind of healing that apparently isn't uh, known by Western medicine and, and how willing are we to explore this, but I'll, I'll let you go to your break first and then. Um, oh, first. Okay. All right. So let me, um, I'll just do, uh... With a simple blood test and food plan, Susan Essentials will help your business, your family, and you eliminate toxins and create a step-by-step -step plan to nourish your mind, body, and spirit. Click here to learn more. struggle to get out of bed into the swing of things well don't worry you are not alone join us for thought-provoking stimulating and mindful conversations on higher learning with Zelda speaks for your monday morning mindfulness session on blog talk radio the female solution monday 7 30 until 9 a.m be sure and send your ideas thoughts comments and suggestions also if you'd like to be a guest on the show visit Zelda speaks Com. And send us your info. We'd love to have you. Experience mindfulness moments with the mindfulness slash stress relief coach, Zelda Speak. And thanks for sharing the mindfulness moment tip of the day. Stay on purpose, stay empowered, and stay tuned to your next session of mindfulness on higher learning with Zelda Speak. Make it a mindful day. And thanks for listening. I'm Beata, your Holistic Life Coach. These days, it's more important than ever to work on your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Are you consciously breathing deeply in stressful moments? Do you have a plan or daily routine to maintain balance in your awesome body? Are you struggling to be disciplined in your eating habits? When you partner with me, I'll help you develop a personalized health plan that works for your particular lifestyle. You can find out more about me at yourholisticlifecoach.com, where you can also review my three-step protocol to guide you to abundant health. That's yourholisticlifecoach.com, and I'm Viata. Okay, one more. The Female Solution Global Radio TV Show invites you to an invigorating conversation with our team of hosts Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. Start your week with Monday Morning Mindfulness with Zelda Speaks. Tuesdays, Self-Cell Care with Jody Susan. Wednesdays, Repairing Broken Families with Naima Latif and co-host Kareem Hamid. Thursdays, Soulful Solutions with Dr. Debbie Green. And Fridays, Health and Well-Being with Viata. 
Saturdays, tune in 12 noon to 2 p.m. Central Time. First Saturday, Success Strategies with Jana. Second Saturday, Wendy Williams Esquire on Relationships. Third Saturday, Move Around with Deborah. And fourth Saturday, Wisdom with Mama D. Join us Sundays, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time for Soul Purpose Healing with Beata. Call in and comment 515-605-9325. Press 1 to speak to the host and be a part of the solution. All right, we are all back. Yes. So, Naima, go ahead with your idea. So go now, this, this was a story told by uh, Marlo Morgan in her book, Mutant Message Down Under. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in this book, she tells about an experience she had. She spent time with uh, a group of Aborigines in Australia, and they went on what's called a walkabout, which basically you you just kind of travel the land and have adventures and so forth uh, out in nature. Well, in one situation, they wanted to demonstrate to her also this healing method that they use. So one of the members of their community uh, tripped and fell, I think fell over a cliff or something like that, and broke his leg. I mean, broke the bone. That You actually saw the bone sticking through his, his skin. Yeah. It was yeah, not, a, not a good day. Yes. <laughs> So now the, 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 one of the members of the community, the, the healing woman, she uh, knew various healing methods. She made this paste out of mud and, and, and uh, applied it to the, the break. First, before she did that, she actually, you know, uh, she placed her hands kind of above his broken leg and she started singing in this melodious sound. And she said, what she's doing is helping the bone to remember uh, the, you know, what it was like to be together. Pre-break. Pre-breaking. Pre-break. So then in doing that, she was able to kind of ease the bone back into position. It wasn't like this jarring thing. You know, it, it, she sort of helped the bone come back together itself uh, through the sound that she was using. And then she put this mud paste on it. Mm-hmm. And almost like a tar, you know, consistency. And the, the man, he spent the night, you know, and, and each of the members of the community just kind of uh, took turns with him, you know, with his head on their lap, just, you know, relaxing, sleeping and so forth. By the next day, his leg was healed. Now that's not something that our science, Western science understands. She used the vibration of sound and whatever was in that mud, but his leg was healed the next day. And Marlo Morgan, she was saying, you know, how do I explain this to the doctors back in America? They would say, no, I made it up. But she saw this herself. She witnessed it. And she knows that there's some healing methods they understand using vibration, using sound, whatever it was. But his leg was healed from that severe break that next day. And she's saying in modern medicine, uh, you know, you got you put a cast on it. You walk around the crutches for weeks. And next day, his so, leg was so if I, it hadn't been broken off, he was up and walking like it hadn't even happened. I hear it as a real real possibility and here's why i use frequencies 
Mm. Well, the bot is a frequency, but this is Healy based on Tesla's technology. Mm -hmm. Tesla. And there's all science behind that. Yeah. I, I, of course, am not present when all that happened, but we know that frequencies can really harm the body, which is 5G technology, 4G technology, and so forth. And we also know it can be overlaid with other frequencies that are healing. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get a hold of this technology, Rife machines, Beamers, BOD, Healy. I mean, the list goes on. So that does, I mean, and where do frequencies come from? And we can actually hum ourselves to health, right? Um, the power of humming puts the brain in a, uh, in a theta state and you can clear the head, you can clear the heart, the throat, the stomach, you just send that vibration down to that part of the body. So Dr. Matthew, do you do you foresee that Western medicine will incorporate many of these practices that make healing almost instantaneous using things that are unseen, such as frequencies? Sure. But again, I don't think it's I don't think it's for keeping them in that box though. Like, so for example, putting vibration into a leg, right? Vibration is a large diameter neuron that inhibits small diameters like pain. We use vibration as pain inhibition, right? So there are things like that, but we can explain them. It reminds me of, there was these two great uh, researchers in England that were good friends. And one of them was a microbiologist and the other one, she was a, um, some kind of paleontologist or historian, right? And they were looking at uh, Viking antibiotics that were considered kind of silly, right? They would use like wine and mud and all this crazy stuff. And when they were making these, trying to recreate them the exact way that they were made back in the day, they found that they treated staff more effectively than even antibiotics exist today. But what they said is you would have been using these at a time, right? And you would have kept using them. And then eventually that community would have become resistant with their bacteria to this modality. And then you go, oh, it doesn't work, walk away. So I think that by exploring these ideas and being open-minded, but open-minded on both sides, right? Because you have the scientific community that doesn't want to do the research on the new stuff. But you also have this, you know, Eastern medicine side that goes, oh, don't do research on it. You can't research it. It's, you know, it's something above that. And it's like, there's got to be a middle ground. There's got to be a compromise where we bring the two worlds together for them ever to be really implemented. Well, that just hits me in the right place. Right. I love that because harmony is where minds meet to collaborate and to work together as a team. Running solo never works. You, you know what I think? If we can get past the financial incentive in medicine and have really as incentive to heal, then I think our medical technology will go so much further, so much faster. But every time there's something new invented, that means the old thing is no longer valuable. It's just like, you know, when 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 television was invented, the radio people were wondered, okay, well, are we gonna be out of business? Now, of course, radio still existed, but you know, once people had the means to have a visual image, it was less influential. And even now you have the internet, which has lessened the impact of television because the internet is something that you can, you know, be seen on all kinds of devices. So each thing that comes along 
threatens to possibly put out of business the thing before it. Just like, you know, you can you can see now where uh, there are concerns that if someone comes along with a, a hydro-powered car or electric-powered car, what does that do to the oil industry if you don't need gasoline? And there's resistance to many of the inventions of vehicles that operate on free energy because then somebody's going to lose some money. So is there a way that we can remove the financial incentive from the medical industry so that, okay, even if big pharma isn't the thing yeah. that people are spending money on, maybe, you know, your, your leg breaks and you know how to, how to sing that bone back into position and, and be healed in a day. I mean, is it possible we could ever get to that point where we just focus on healing and not the profits made from sickness? And I think that if everyone could understand the idea that there's never going to be a something that treats across the board, right? Because everyone I see that's good at medicine or healthcare, they're always trying to find that one angle that this is right for everybody, right? They're always trying to patent something or produce something or sell something or market something. It's always this idea that this is the road. And I think if we all step back and realize that nothing is a universal good thing, then I think it takes away any financial incentive to dominate a market, right? And if we know that each individual is going to have a completely different set of care, then there's really no need to, to patent a universal approach or push something out there. I think that can be a big part of it. But again, there are so many layers of that question, you know, like- I, I, I just feel compelled to show this again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I used to work for the FDA, right? And I used to do uh, trials and stuff and, and, and was an organic chemist. And during that time, you see how much money it costs to check for safety, right? So like, how do you get rid of that cost? You know, how do you get rid of this? Like there's, there's so okay. many it's a brilliant so questions. Really great how do you get rid of the cost for safety? So... So th this is, you know, and I, and I don't, uh, so forgive me if I, in advance, I'm, I'm going to do my best to make this come out where it doesn't sound combative and I don't mean to be. So, um, so if we're dealing with a plant, um, the safety that we're looking at is, does that person have a sensitivity to it at that point? Like, like a, an allergy or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you're, if, if you have a, um, an infection, right. By, uh, oregano, clove, garlic, onions, you know, you, I don't think you have to test for safety for that. You do. Tell you me do. why. Cause like, let's say someone has an autoimmunity. Someone comes with MS that has an infection, right? A lot of those herbs have a TH1 or a TH2 dominant stimulant. And if you don't know which their autoimmunity is in, you can actually drive that autoimmunity. Anything that can help can hurt, right? That's what, like, these are powerful tools. But I think plants can, especially in their concentrated forms that we use today, like in nutraceuticals, they're, they're very strong. Um, you know, like, I'm scared of prostate cancer, right? And tomatoes have a high amount of lycopene, which is great. But they also are a nightshade with a high amount of lectins that tear my gut down. So I have to know that balance and where my gut health is, or I could actually cause damage to myself. Mm. So, I mean, and that's a very, very fair statement. That's a very fair I statement. I love that you just mentioned lectins. 
Okay, Dr. go Matthew, for it, I Lindsay. I don't have many lectin fans, so that's <laughs> to hear, I guess. Well, Dr. Gundry, oh God, right? Yeah. He's like the big guy yeah. on lectins. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the fact that you just mentioned lectins, there, this is such a fascinating conversation because there's it's so nuanced. But you know, it's just, it's the the plant paradox, right? Where you can go so, um, you know, people go vegetarian or they go vegan and they're like, I don't understand why this isn't working for me. And my gut health is decreased. And it's because, you know, plants have this amazingly ridiculous, highly sophisticated, but then also simplistic, right, way of protecting their babies, their seeds. And some of these plants don't want you to eat them because they're meant to drop their seeds on the ground and that's where their babies replant. And for those seeds like grains and tomatoes and things like that, right? In certain individuals, they can they can cause a lot of digestive distress, and so Dr. Matthew, you know, just bringing up that you know, for one of us, it, it, you know, a plant can be so healing and restorative, and some plants, you know, probably universally are more right. But then in other patients, depending on where their gut and their you know, the, all of the integration, right, the communication breakdown, and everything else, that healing herb for one person can be so detrimental because of their inflammation, their leaky gut, you know, what's getting through, and their reactive states. Well, I, I think that's all spot on, and I now I just realized as you guys were all talking that I created my own new reality. Mm. So <laughs> no, I really did. So, I, and I'll share with you guys why. So when I first tested out, I think I had 185 food sensitivities and it went down to 135. Most of it was plants, by the way. So when I lost 92 pounds, it was mostly from meat um, because I wasn't sensitive to meat. And, um, and now my diet today consists of 90% plant and 10% meat. Okay. But, but the big but is I used my Healy and I used it together with my bod, which is downstairs, but I used to, the two together uh, to reverse all my um, sensitivities to food, including gluten, right? And gliden and things like that. And then my, re and I, and I don't have sensitivities to any foods at all. The only thing I'm sensitive to and should be are synthetic chemicals. And so I went from mm -hmm. understanding what you understand, Lindsay and Dr. Matthew, to having creating my new reality, which was I can have whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> because I put my brain in a in a in a theta state where we stop seeing everything as predators. Uh -huh. My body processes food in a way that I'm supported. And so I'm mm -hmm. listening to you, Lindsay, and I'm like, okay, she's spot on. That's so out of my reality. Uh, uh. <laughs> because I created a new well, one. And then, so, yeah. So, and then, the, you know, the sensitivities, right, with, you know, your frequency and what you were able to do for yourself, right, brought you into the parasympathetic. And, like, the possibility of healing is just so, it's so miraculous. and. I love this intersection of Western and Eastern and frequency. And, you know, it's, um, I think we, I think this back and forth that Dr. Matthew was talking about, you know, allopathic and, mm -hmm. you know, the two sides of the coin, 
which are, I think, totally combining. But that is, you know, we learn the most of, of any technology, no matter what it is, whether it's medicine or not, when we fail. And, yes. And, mm-hmm. yes, and then yes, we yes. go, oh, my God, what are we doing over here? We got to go back over here. And then it's just back. I mean, you could say it's between whole language and phonics, right? To bring it into the education um, realm. But it is, we learn so, and I, you know, no one wants to fail. We don't want to lose lives. We don't want people to get sick, but we are learning so much because we are sick, because we are, you know, experiencing allergies and toxicity. It's like, well, what's, why, why is this happening? Why am I sick? And then all of a sudden we start opening up different doors that we never thought to open and, and looking under rocks, you know, before the eighties, we didn't even, we didn't even study the microbiome. And now we're like, wait a minute, what? we're 99% bacterial DNA. Mm. It's, it's insanely cool. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, oh, it's eight. Wow. It's 8.50. Where'd the time go? It's 8.51. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> fun. I mean, hearing all the different um, perspectives is so healing uh, in its own right. Uh, to hear your perspective, Dr. Matthew, Lindsay's, Naima's, mine. And know that they all have great value in helping people to uh, heal themselves, right? Um, you know, I'd like to see, uh, you know, like it's been said, it, there is no one size fits all. I'd like to see more uh, options given to people when they when they go into a doctor's office. Uh, you know, would you like to explore more traditional? pharmaceutical measures? Would you like to try uh, some other things? Hypnotherapy, uh, acupuncture, energy healing. I mean, I, I would like to see people given a choice of things that they, and they can decide what they're comfortable with as opposed to, uh, you know, only this works or don't even look at that, you know, just because as Dr. Matthew said, I mean, everything is, is in some sense, once we understand it, verifiable by science as far as our science has advanced to our understanding, totally. but at least give people an option of trying things that have worked in other places, even those things we don't yet understand. Well, you know, and I'm actually, uh, well, I was going to do it this year, but it's going to be in January. I'll be studying hypnosis, becoming yeah. certified in hypnosis. Um, yeah, really powerful. I didn't get married instead. At the end of <laughs> Like a choice, huh? <laughs> and Dr. Matthew, you just got married this year, didn't you? Correct, correct. Oh, congratulations! No, no smiling. Oh. <laughs> or is marriage now hypnosis? <laughs> if so, I'm the one under the hypnosis, I guess. You know, because I'm not alone with that. <laughs> Congratulations again on that. That was just this summer. So, right? Like, was it June or July? Or July, July. July. Yeah. Great, great. Yeah, yeah. Long time coming, but yeah, finally done. And other well, that, that's exciting. That's exciting. That is wonderful. So, yeah. any other last comments? We'll go, Lindsay, you first, then Naima, and then Dr. Matthew. Uh, Dr. Matthew, what are you most excited about for the future of um, medicine, you know, with your um, nuanced differentiation, which I just love. It's such a, 
such a huge thing. What is what is what is lighting you up the most in terms of the new frontiers um, that you're you're experiencing? Uh, for sure, prevention. Uh, there's so much low-hanging fruit right. out there, like dementia, Alzheimer's, 99% preventable if you make changes before cognition's lost, the research shows. So if we could start screening people, even at a young age for brain function, um, or go back to what you were talking about, gut function, right? The things we're finding out about propionic acid and bifidobacter infantis in kids and how that creates so much brain inflammation. Like the way we're looking at stuff now and these uh, these baseline testing, these testings throughout I think will help us just treat so many people that have such avoidable conditions. Mm. You know, if I was going to ask a question, I, 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 with that word prevention. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome night. And, uh, so, and I love the answer and and Naima, what about you? Do you have a question? Yes. You know, I, I would say, and maybe ask this question based on your recent life change, how do you perceive a person's general state of well-being in terms of their emotional state having a direct impact on their physical health? And is that something that perhaps doctors should be more uh, aware of when someone comes in, look at what's happening in their lives and how it's affecting them emotionally, which is affecting their brain chemistry and uh, subsequently their entire body health? A hundred percent. And I, I would say even the most western of docs would still perceive emotion affects the physical health i think the big key here is recognizing emotions as physical health mm. right that our emotions are part of our anatomy and physiology and i think when we recognize that way we dismiss so many less people like i get called country really rare weird stuff so i get calls all the time from their previous physicians i go oh it's just because they're stressed or just because they're upset and i totally think those things play a role but it all is connected. Like if you have a frontal lobe injury and you can't focus, you're also going to have harder times with impulse control that can lead to an emotional bad things in your life, you know? So I think we have to look at them as being linked versus, you know, affecting one another. Separate. Yeah. It's all one system. Exactly. Mm. And uh, Dr. Matthew, do you have anything that you want to close with? <laughs> I think we've covered the gamut. <laughs> Don't say. <laughs> <laughs> how do we reach him? How, how, how do people get in touch? With oh, him? yeah, 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 yeah. And I have that right here. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, just, um, you know, our website. Or honestly, the best way is we're kind of old fashioned just to call our office. You know, I mean, everyone has all this technology. We're just, just call us. It's uh, 630-637-8887. But we're a small clinic. You know, what I always tell people, if you go to the first place and it helps you, great. Stay there. Keep doing it. What we're here for, the people go, hey, we've been everywhere. No one can help us. No one can figure out what's wrong. We have no idea. That's what we kind of specialize in. Okay, wait. Tell me the phone number again because I'm putting it in no the head. It's 630-637-8887. And it's interactive neurology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what town are you in? We're in Naperville. Right. So he's in Naperville, Illinois, which is about what, 30 minutes outside of Chicago. It's, yeah, it's, it's not too far off the highway. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, more the Hobson medical campus. It's, it's on the uh, Southeast side of Naperville. So did I get that number right? Perfect. Perfect. So um, 
you know, and I will say, you know, Dr. Matthew works so well with kids and, and big ones and little ones. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um, yeah. So he, he, you know, I won't put up the email address. Just give him a call. Yeah, that's better. If you have been, so and I'll close with this because we got a couple minutes uh, at most before I 90 seconds. See, 90 seconds. <laughs> if you have a condition and you have seen many doctors and nothing's working, see Dr. Matthew. Um, he can help you get to the root cause. And really, at the end of the day, that's what you're shooting for, because if you can get to the root cause, there are a number of ways to achieve health, right? And then you get a choice in the matter. Fair enough? 100%. All right. So let's run this thank you ending. There we go. Let's see. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that part of my brain is broken. I need to see someone. I www.blogtalkradio.com/female-solution. You can also hear today's show on Thank the Female so Solution much. Facebook Thank page. You so much. Thank you so much. Very great education. Uh, it was great talking with you guys as always. Can you hear you can me, Dolly? Always reach me on my website at www.naimalatik.com. That's www.naimahlatif.com. Watch our TV shows, listen to our radio shows, order our books, and be sure to get your copy of the book, The Female Solution. On behalf of our team of radio hosts, I'd like to thank all of you who participated in today's discussion. And to our global family listening from all around the world, we say thank you. To our family in China, Sheshe, India, Zanyabad, Japan, Alingato, Korea, Kamsanida, Russia, Spasiba, Germany, Danke, Poland, John Kujun, France, Merci, Spain, Gracias, Italy, Grazie, Egypt, Shukran, Ghana, Madasi, Nigeria, Eshe, South Africa, Ngiabonga, Senegal, Geret, Kenya, Asante, Israel, Toda, Pakistan, Shukriya, Afghanistan, Tashakur, Saudi Arabia, Shukran, Thank you. And may peace be upon you and the mercy of God and God's blessing. You go, Naima.